Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome out. Welcome to those that are joining us online. Hopefully, you're staying warm this morning. This one caught me by surprise. I, I should have called Ray yesterday. I, I did not see this one coming, but good to see some, some snow on the ground. I always enjoy that, but I like being warm even better. So uh, thanks for coming out, everyone. Um, again, we just want to thank you for, for joining with us. I hope that you've already been able to connect with our Heavenly Father through a time of worship and, and song. But now as we open up our hearts to connect with him through his word, let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are thankful, thankful for your provision, thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your presence in our midst this morning. Uh, God, we are so thankful that you are a personal heavenly father that, that longs to meet with us. So now, God, as we come before you and come to your word with an open mind, an open heart, spirit, speak into our lives. Give us clear next steps on what we can do to follow more closely after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in uh, the second week of this series called Five Choices, where we're looking at, at some simple decisions, some simple choices that we can make in our lives that will result in, in a growing faith. And we've centered these, around, these choices around the core values of the church. And while these values inform us as, as an organization, as a church, and inform on what kinds of programs and discipleship models we wanna go after, these same values, when applied to our personal lives, can actually grow our faith and allow us to accomplish God's plans for our lives. Um, you can see them up here on the screen. Andy last week kicked it off and was talking about the importance of passionately pursuing God's ways in our lives. And as we begin to understand and come to him with, with this reverence and awe for who God is and what he wants to be in our lives, then, then the natural outcome of that is that, that we will surrender our will to his, that we will surrender our ways and be obedient to his ways. And what we'll find is that as we align our lives with the commands of our good and loving father, that life goes better for us. And we actually get better at life as we follow after God's will and God's ways. And today, I wanna tackle the critical choice of choosing to be connected. The way that we say it around here is that you can't do life alone. So I wanna talk about the importance of having community in your life, authentic community in your life. And this isn't just a, a spiritual discipline either. It's part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to, to thrive in this world. We were actually made for community. I was, uh, I was reading this week that, and there are a lot of sociological studies out there, but they all reveal that the number one factor that distinguishes happy people from unhappy people, it isn't wealth, it, it's not accomplishments, it's not achievements. The one factor that distinguishes happy people from unhappy people is the presence of deep and meaningful relationships. Think about that, that, that the, the number one thing that, that leads to a lasting satisfaction in life is the depth of your friendships. And we wanna help you find and foster those kinds of relationships. And that's why you hear us talk about small groups. And I want you to know, understand that, that our small groups, they're not primarily about um, curriculum or content. They're primarily about relationships. And it's our hope that as you enter into these community groups, these small groups, that, that you can meet some people that can be a safety net for your faith, that, that can be a place of strength in your spiritual walk. And as you read through the early accounts of the early church, this is the model that you see. From the very beginning, the first century church, they would meet together, the believers would meet together in the temple courts in these large crowds. 
But then throughout the week, they would meet in these smaller gatherings in people's houses. And so we do the same thing. We gather here on a Sunday morning. And as we gather, we're inspired by God's word to, to make some changes in our lives, to, to actually see some things get uh, changed in a different dire direction. And, and we, we gather together so we can collectively worship our good God. But we need more than that. We need each other. We believe that, that lasting life change happens in the context of small groups, that it happens in circles and not necessarily in rows, where, where there is this natural sense of accountability, where, where people know you and, and you know them. They know what's going on in your life and that there's this place to belong. And there's this place where you're, where you're caught and where you're cared for. And throughout the, the New Testament, we're reminded that we need each other that if we're going to accomplish the plan that God has for our lives, that we need others in our lives. And the Bible talks a lot about the downfall of loneliness, of not following after that. Uh, in fact, the, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin, it was actually solitude. The, the fall and temptation and Satan's temptation over Adam and Eve actually takes place in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 2, after God had made this perfect creation and before there was any sin, before there was any injustice, before there was any pain in the world, he says this. He says, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. In all of the goodness of creation, there was one thing that God looked at and said, that, that, that's not good. That needs fixed. It's aloneness, it's solitude, it's isolation, it's a lack of community. The fact is right now there is an epidemic of isolation and loneliness in the United States. I was actually reading a study from this past year that the Surgeon General's office put out. And it showed that about half or over half of the adult population reported having measurable levels of loneliness in their lives. Half the people go through life and they have these deep feelings of isolation and loneliness. And they reported that this isolation, this, this loneliness, chronic loneliness, um, can actually increase um, the, the risk of premature death, like, like the same um, risk factors that we have of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The chronic loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And in the last few decades, our, our culture has experienced significant changes in how we live and how we interact with each other. We, we move more frequently, we change jobs more often, uh, and technology has drastically changed the way that we communicate and with the way we interact with each other. And across all age groups, people have less in-person interactions than they did 20 years ago. Uh, and in fact, the, the report showed that this next generation of kids, age 15 to 24, they have 70% less social interactions, face-to-face -face social interactions with, with their peers as a, uh, compared to 20 years ago. Science is proving what God has said from the very beginning, that it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for me to be alone. We need each other. We, we need to be connected to, this, to an authentic community of believers who commit to getting together, opening up God's word, opening up their lives to God's word and praying, to, praying together, just going through life together. And when that happens, amazing things happen that God works in the midst of community to change our lives and to allow us to pursue him more, more faithfully. But also know that finding that kind of community is hard to find. Some of you are here this morning and you're in a season where it just feels like it's difficult to make new friends. Maybe you're, maybe you're new to the area or maybe you look at, at your calendar and your schedule and you think, I, I just don't have the time for this. 
And if that's you, and I think we all go through that from time to time, we need to understand that we're not the first generation that has struggled to, to making relationships fit into our lives. In the first century, as the early church was just getting started, people struggled with the same thing. And, and the writer of Hebrews specifically talks about the power and the benefits of community. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn in your devices there or your Bibles, we'll pick up in verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, so anytime that if you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what is it there for? Like most writers in the New Testament, they, they spend the, the, the first half of their letter explaining a truth about who God is, explaining the, the truth of God's grace and his gospel. And the, the letter of Hebrews does the same thing. He, he starts off and, and he talks about the first nine chapters explaining how Jesus is greater than the old sacrificial system, that he's greater than the prophets and that his sacrifice was fully sufficient for um, forgiveness, forgiving us forgiveness. And since we now have that forgiveness, since we now have that access to a personal relationship with God, he goes on and he paints a picture about what the Christian life can look like. He says, therefore, since we have this kind of relationship, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. When Jesus comes and he pays the full payment for our sins, we now have the ability to enter into the presence of God, that we can draw near to him, and he says, with a sincere heart, that there's no hypocrisy, that there's no faking it, that there's no hiding, that we can draw near to God with full assurance that we can boldly come into his presence with our true selves, fully known and fully loved. And what he's telling these early believers, and these were Jewish believers who had converted to Christianity and understood who Jesus was, but they still had this Old Testament mindset. And so he was saying, understand how greatly things have changed. Don't forget the awe and the privilege that because of Jesus, you can now boldly go into the presence of of God. And then he continues in verse 23. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And I love the word picture of he's saying, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, that we're not going all over the place. And he's in essence saying, Don't you want your faith to grow? Don't you want your life to be steady and true? Don't you want to see consistent freedom over temptation? Don't you want to see consistent growth in your marriage and in your parenting? Don't you want to look back a year from now and say, you know what, my faith grew, that I remained steady and consistently connected to God. And of course, they're all saying, yeah, of course it's what we want. And he says to them, then don't forget the power of us. If you read through the, the, these several verses, what you see over and over again, he says these phrases, we, or, or let us. He, he doesn't say, you just need to try harder. He doesn't say, you just need to buckle down and get with the program. This whole passage is dealing with the power of relationships, the, the power of us. You see, Christianity is a team sport. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have joined a team. You have joined 
a family, and then we need each other. Right? Our culture tends to, to celebrate independence um, and, and doing things on your own, but that, that's, that's not a biblical mandate. In fact, what Scripture says is that our lives, that we were actually created to have interdependent lives, the lives that we want, the, the changes that we want to see take place in our lives, in our character, in our health, in our finances, in our families. These things will require effort on our part. It's going to require intentionality. It's going to require discipline. That We don't tend to just drift into good change in our lives. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we is greater than me. And that there's power in surrounding ourselves with people who hold the same values, whose lives are pointing in the same direction that we want to go, who are chasing after God as closely as they can, because we need some of those people that can help us achieve the changes that we want. That's the way that God designed it. And the fact is that our relationships will determine the quality and the direction of our lives. So if you show me someone who who lives an unswerving steady life, who may go a little to the left or a little to the right from time to time, but whose overall direction is consistently going after God. If you show me someone like that, then I'll show you someone that has a few close friends that they're walking through life together. And it's not that they are any less busy than other people, but what they've done is they have fought to surround themselves with a few people who love Jesus, and they've invited them into their lives to help them stay the course, but if you show me someone whose life just seems to be all over the place, whose lives just seem to continue to, to fall back into the same unhealthy patterns, the same unhealthy relationship patterns, and the same struggles with anger, and they still have the same struggles with unforgiveness, and they keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and you don't really see a consistent growth in their life, then I will show you someone that probably isn't connected meaningfully to the others. And they're probably trying to go it alone, that they haven't empowered or invited other people into their lives to help them get closer to God. And they're trying to do it out of their own power. They're trying to live this lone ranger faith and it doesn't work. That's not the way God designed it to be. Well, over the next two verses, the, the writer of Hebrews gives us four principles of the relationships that we need to have that will lead to a consistent and unswerving pursuit of God. Let me read these two verses and we'll go back and, and find the four that are in there. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He starts off and he says, Let us consider. And when we use that word consider, a lot of times in our day we kind of see it as kind of a passing thought that I'm considering something. But this Greek word actually means the exact opposite. It's to to give full attention to something. It's to meticulously study something. Another another time it's translated as fixing our thoughts. It's this idea that that we are close enough together in a community of people that we know each other's tendencies. And that's the first point is that I need a community to know me. There's a tendency in our lives to, to create this kind of false distinction or separation between what happens on Sunday and what happens in the rest of my life. That there is this God box that it's just me and God and I meet with him and then I have all the other parts of my life, my, my marriage, my friends, my work. And we try to maintain these, these separations or these boxes. But the Bible is clear that, that even though your relationship with God is personal, it was never meant to be kept private. 
And the best thing that you could do to move forward in your walk with God, to take that next step with, it, with him, would be to take what has been private and, and personal for you, your faith, and to make it public with a handful of people who can listen and learn more about you, learn, learn your, your tendencies, your doubts, your struggles at work, your, your struggles in your marriage or your struggles with, with your teenager, that, that we need a few people in our lives that, that know the ins and outs of how we're wired and what we're struggling with and who can speak into our lives from time to time in order to help us to grow. I, I think that we can all look back on our biggest regrets, on some of the decisions that have had the, the biggest impact on our lives and, and say, you know, my life would be so much different if I had the right people in my life back then. My life would be so much different if my mom and dad had the right people in their lives back then. That, that my life would be so much better, so much less complicated if there had been somebody or a couple of people who knew what I was thinking, who knew what I was struggling with, who knew what I was going through and, and they stepped in and they gave some direction and they helped me dig in and, and fight against the, the temptation that I wouldn't have made that decision, that I wouldn't have started that relationship, that I wouldn't have gotten into that business deal. The writer says that, that, we, that we need other people in our lives that really know us so that, so that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that, that word spur literally means to motivate or, or to incite into action. It's this idea of knowing what buttons to push. And any other time that this Greek word is used in the New Testament, it was used, it had this negative connotation, that it was used in the middle of a, of a sharp dispute or an argument of some kind. And you know how sometimes when you get in an argument that there are certain phrases certain things that, that you can put out there that you know will, will cause someone to, to react. Well, that's the intent of this word. In this case, what he's saying is that, that you should know each other well enough that you know what buttons to push to motivate them, to motivate them towards loving God more, towards loving people more. And here's the second point, is that I need a community to push me. And we know this principle and we apply this principle in a bunch of different areas of our lives already. We, we hire personal trainers and nutritionists to, to help us have a plan and to keep us accountable to a plan so we can get in shape. We, we hire financial planners who get to know us and our, our risk tolerances and what our retirement goals are. And then they give us a plan that we're to follow so that we can meet those goals. We go to marriage counselors from time to time to peek into our marriages and to see if there's some things that we need to improve on. We have coaches that, that help us, help our kids get better at a sport. And I'm always amazed that, that even the best players in the world still have to have coaches or still need coaches to help them, that they, they design these practices and these training regimens and they hold them accountable to that. And that, that somehow the best coaches are still able to get more out of these best players, to get something out of these players that they never would have gotten on their own regardless of the area we're talking about. That this principle is the thing, that, that if we want to have consistent growth, if we want to have some unswerving growth in our lives, that we need to have an outsider or a couple of outsiders who are looking into our lives and are pushing us to achieve what we just wouldn't do on our own. And the same thing is true in our spiritual lives, that we all need someone, we need a few people that can push us, that can motivate us, that can help us set some spiritual goals and then hold us accountable to check in on those ask the occasional hard questions so that 
we can achieve what it is that God wants to achieve in our lives. We need some people who can spot where we're vulnerable. The fact is that we all have blind spots. We can only see so much and you need to make sure that you have somebody who's watching your back. We need others because blind spots are blind spots for a reason, that we can't see them. And we have an enemy who's always going to try to use these blind spots to defeat us. He's gonna use temptation and trials and, and secret hurts and secret habits and, and the stress of life and the grief of life to try to trap us and defeat us. And one of the benefits of, of being in community is that we have some people in our lives that are watching over our souls. I, I need some people in my life who will warn me of potential traps, potential pitfalls that, that maybe for whatever reason I, I'm just blind to. That, that when they see some, some early signs of me drifting and I'm starting to swerve a little bit, that they can come in and say, you know what? That's not lining up with who I know you to be. That, that's not lining up with who I know you want to be. And we need some people in our lives who can say, you know, I, I'm concerned by some of the decisions that I've seen lately. I'm concerned by some of the behavior that I've seen lately. Is there anything going on that, that we need to talk about? We need a community of people who have our backs, who can spur us, who can motivate us and watch out for us. And then the writer goes on and he urges these believers, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And he's, he's warning them. He's saying it's, a, it's dangerous to, to simply hang out on the fringes, to, to not gather together in a community, to not really be known by anyone. And we need to, as a result of that, we need to make this a, a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline in our lives. Here's how I have it in your notes, is that I need a community in every season. When, when Sarah and I were first married, um, we were attending a, a, a different church at the time, and we had, a lot, we had a lot of friends in our lives, but there was no one who really had the inside track of where we were in our marriage, or where we were in our parenting, or where we were in our finances. And so someone, a friend of ours reached out to us, invited us to a, to a small group that they were, they were just starting. And from that day, we were hooked. That first small group gathering, we, we gathered together and we just kind of covenanted together and said, you know, we're gonna go through life together. We're gonna meet weekly. We're gonna open up God's word. We're gonna open up our lives to each other. And we've been in dozens and dozens of small groups since that time. And they've walked with us through the different seasons of life in our marriage and in, in our parenting and all that's been done in the context of living life together in a community. And as the kids got older and our lives got busier and our lives got more complicated, sure, it would have been nice to, to have an evening back and not be on the run all the time. But we made it a priority and, and we've stuck with it. And, and when I look back and I see the, the cumulative effect of being in a small group, and the impact that that has had on my spiritual life and in my marriage and in my parenting and the impact that, that some of these relationships that were forged in our community that have had on our kids will always be in a group. There is a depth to my walk that would not be there if it weren't for gathering together in community. And one of the benefits of walking through life in community is, is that we can navigate the decisions, some of the harder decisions with more wisdom. Solomon says it this way, he says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. There are 
some decisions in life that have the potential to be much more consequential than others. But unfortunately, we don't know which of those consequential decisions there are until after the fact. We don't really know the consequences of our decisions until after the fact. So as a result of that, we need to have some godly people in our lives who have more life experience or different life experience than us, who may know parts of the Bible better than us, that can bring that kind of wisdom and share it so that we can make the right kinds of decisions. And we all need this. I need this just as much as you do. Otherwise, what's going to happen is we're going to make a mess of our lives. We're going to step into making some foolish decisions because we didn't seek after wise counsel. We didn't invite our community to help us into that, making that right decision. And we need to make community a priority. We need to make it a habit in our lives. It just needs to be a big rock that you put on the calendar because if you don't, then the habit of not meeting will take over. And, and you'll convince yourself, you know, it's just the season. Once things die down and I'm not quite as busy, then I'll get into it. And you'll blink a couple times and you'll have years or maybe seasons of your life where you are going it alone and not having the, experiencing the benefits of community in your life. So, so make the commitment and make it happen because you need community in every season, maybe especially in the crazy, busy, hectic seasons of life. And then the writer ends by reminding us that we need to gather and we need community because we all need encouragement, that I need a community to encourage me. We all need a cheering section in our lives from time to time. On those days when I'm down, I need someone to come alongside and reframe it and give me an attaboy or say, you know, it, it's better than you think. You're gonna get through this. So give me that kind of encouragement to get through it. We need some people to remind us of the hope that we have and the faithfulness of God, that there are times that we look out the windshield of our lives and what we see in front of us, a situation or a circumstance, and it looks daunting and it looks nerve-wracking and it looks scary and we don't know where God is and we don't know when or if he's going to show up. And during those times, we need some people in our lives that can help us look in the rearview mirror to remind us of God's faithfulness and all the times in the past that he has shown up and to remind us that, that is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, to, to give us that kind of encouragement when life gets hard to be reminded of his faithfulness. Or better yet, sometimes we need some people to say, here, let me help you with that. We all know, I mean, we've walked through life enough that we know that this life can get hard and heavy sometimes and that there are some trials and some seasons that are just too heavy to bear alone. And so God gives us other believers to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be able to, to lift up some of that burden and help us to walk through those hard seasons. Jesus told us that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. That's a fact that is a promise. So we need some people already in our lives for when those days and those seasons come our way, you, you need some people who already know you. You need some people who you already trust. That You need to, to build the community before the storm of life happens. That you need people who are already there, but, but you don't arrive at that kind of community um, without investing in it. 
without giving your time to it, without showing up week in and week out, even when it feels insignificant. It's not, it's never insignificant. Because every time you gather together, every time you, you come together in community, you're making these deposits of time and you're making these, devo- these deposits and investment in those relationships. And it's, it's forming the kind of community. It's forging the kind of community that, that can give you the encouragement that you need when you need it. If, if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, I, one thing I know is that you don't want to swerve. You don't want your life just kind of drifting through and swerving left and swerving right. You, you want to have a consistent faith. You, you want to grow closer to God with each season of life, but you can't do that alone. You can't do life alone. You, you can't grow closer to God just in isolation. You need real community in your life. And the best thing that you can do to, to keep from swerving, to keep from, from drifting, is to seek after a few people to do life together. Where you, you experience this mutual encouraging, this mutual spurring on one another that's taking place. And, and by simply showing up and, and tracking with people and doing life together and opening up your lives together and opening up your lives to God's word together, th- these relationships forge and they grow our faith in ways that are, it's hard to explain at times, but it's just the way that God designed it. Some decisions are too important to make on your own. Some trials are too hard to bear on your own. Some temptations are too strong to resist alone. You need people. We, we need each other. Imagine what your life could look like if you had a few believers in your life that, that knew you, that, that really knew you. They know what makes you tick. They know what ticks you off. They know what motivates you. They know what, what you're afraid of. They know what your insecurities are. And that these would know how to motivate you in the ways that you need to. And whenever life gets hard, they're there. They're there in the ups and the downs of life. They're there to encourage you when life gets really hard. They're there to celebrate, celebrate with you when life is going great. And they're there to spur you on towards who you want to be and who God wants you to be. And that kind of community sometimes is hard to find. That's why we have small groups. It's providing you an opportunity to, to find those people that you can open up your faith to. When you came in, you should have received a list of all the different kinds of groups that are, that are kicking off. I would encourage you to take a look at it. Make this a priority. Show up. Show up. Be honest. Be real with, with the people in your life and see the kind of work that God can do in your life. Great things happen in group. You can't do life alone. So find your way into a community and experience what God has for you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the, for the reminder that we can't do life alone. I know in my own life, it's sometimes easier to, to remain isolated and to just go through life alone. But God, I, I've walked through community too much to know that I need people. And that's the way you've designed it, that we need others to encourage us. We need others to, to spur us on. We need others to, to protect us, sometimes protect us from ourselves, but also protect us from our enemy. So God, I, I pray that you would bring to mind, give us the, the courage 
to step into um, a community of faith and see what you'll do in it. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the people that you have gathered around us to point us towards you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a great week. Um, We'll see you back here next week for part three.